Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi everyone, welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. And with me today, I have Ian Litchfield. Hello. Hello. Hi there. How are you nice doing? to meet you. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Can you tell the audience a little bit, just a short summary of sort of who you are, what you do? Uh, well, uh, I'm Ian. I run a company called Litchfield Motors. Uh, we're based in Gloucestershire and uh, we've got a garage, modify, sell sports cars, everything from simple servicing to big power upgrades to new products, kind of everything under one roof, really. Mm. When, I think, I'm trying to think when I, how long, how did this all start? How did you, how did you get into, when did you start? Uh, well, I've always, and then I've always loved cars. Mm. So I've been a huge car fan since, well, my parents will say since I could talk. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's something that evolved over time. I wasn't particularly academic at school. I was doing a business studies course. And we had to choose something we were interested in. So I chose the car business. Mm. Um, and it kind of evolved from there, really. Nice. Um, and then, yeah, so how did you get... Well, Litchfield Motors, how does it, how did it start? Were you doing something before then? No, no, I was um, well, I was doing my, um, my A-level. So I was doing a business studies A-level. And mm. I used to read Performance Car Magazine. Oh, yeah. And I saw an article on uh, Monster Miata in, in the US where they would take uh, an MX-5 and they put a V8 in it. And in the sidebar on the side of the uh, the article was uh, a breakdown of all the costs, including the cost of the car. Yeah. And by chance, my next assignment was to, to pick a business and a model. So I made up this fictitious business of, of importing a car from the US and then selling it in the UK. And I did okay in the, in the thing. You had to present it to a bank manager at the end. Mm. And the bank manager said that uh, they would, in theory, lend me the money for the job. And um, so then I thought, well, maybe there was an opportunity here. So I went back 
and saw the bank manager who just laughed um, <laughs> and said that it was fine when it was just for an academic uh, mark, but not uh, if you're actually going to have to lend them money. So, um, yeah, so I went, uh, went back and asked for a car loan uh, for a Citroen AX GT and, um, and then bought an MX-5 from the US because the internet <laughs> just started at the time. And I was oblivious to the fact that nobody would want a left-hand drive as it was. And it was an automatic yeah. white MX-5. It was like the worst possible combination. <laughs> um, but in the disaster that was that car, that, that kind of taught me a lot. So I sort of started when I was 18 and uh, yeah, carried on. But in the course of bringing it over, I, I met quite a few people. Um, and I found out that cars were going from Japan to New Zealand and the Japanese cars were right-hand drive. So when I finally managed to get rid of the MX-5, we uh, we purchased another car from. Well, I said I purchased another car from um, from Japan and sold that quite quickly, and then it sort of snowballed from there. and And then the business then paid my way through university in Cheltenham, um, and then we sort That's of carried cool. on afterwards. So my wife and I ran it originally, and then it's gone from there. So it was primarily importing. JDM staff and things like that. JDM cars, yeah. We we had our a kind of big break came really with um, the Subarus. We we did a huge amount of Subarus and the special editions that they had in Japan that you couldn't get in the UK. Mm. That worked really well. Um, and we got to in some of the magazines. And then I I was sort of tuning my own cars, both because they needed to go through emissions testing, okay, uh, and also for more performance. And then customers would ask me to tune their cars. And so the whole thing kind of gained momentum. And to put a car through emissions testing, like tuning for that, what, how does that work? Like, it's 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 pretty complicated and extremely expensive. Um, so when we would bring the cars over, they would uh, they'd have to go through what we call well at the time it's called ESVA, mm-hmm. and they would go to a test facility like um, like Ford at Dunstan. Uh, and also uh, Land Rover and Sully Hole had a test facility and you'd rent a slot in there and then they would uh, they'd run a full emissions test and you had no control over it so you'd, you'd hope the car would go through for okay. the first time but most of the time it didn't so then you'd have to modify it to make it cleaner but then you'd send it back spend some money again hoping that it would it yeah. would pass the next time and you just repeat and repeat and repeat <laughs> and eventually it would it would go through so it taught me a huge amount about combustion engines just from the necessity of getting cars registered. And is it is a cleaner car generally? Well, is is a cleaner car more efficient? Um, yeah, or I mean, not if, necessarily. If, yes, absolutely. So the, the the more efficient the engine, the cleaner it will be. But the Japanese um, have very different emission standards. So they are not quite as strict on the cold start when the car first fires okay. up. And they would fail dismally on on that. So we had to do all sorts of things to to get these things through. Um, once they were up and running, they were fine. But I think it was the Subarus used to produce ninety percent of their emissions in the first thirty seconds. Okay, so right. it was it was on a on a sort of ten five ten minute test. It was it was quite a task to get it working properly. So um, yeah, that was the that was something that came. Uh, when we were at college at university and then mm. I took to work sort of uh, part-time on it and get these cars through for customers. And often you're buying a car in not knowing if it would pass. Right. Uh, some, some would go straight through. So Nissan GTR cruised through, uh, which was lucky. 
Uh, but most of the Subarus would, would fail dismally and you'd have to work on them. And that presumably improved all of your ability to work on these engines. And Yeah, it gives you a good understanding. And, and it's something we had to do. And you had to bring the car over first to find out whether it worked. So the pressure was on to get it to work. Otherwise, you were stuck with something you'd never be able to register. And would, would people pay for the car before you brought it over or would they want the it delivered and registered is that- uh yeah delivered and registered some some customers paid in in advance once you know once the system was up mm. and running um it worked well and it was quite a nice system that if once you did pass a test it was exclusive to you so if anybody else wanted to import a car i hope you can't hear all the noise in the background i've got a i can hear I mean, a tiny bit. To, that's fine <laughs> in, in, the, in our waiting room and our mot station it's the quietest place we have in the in yeah the place. <laughs> so at what point in time because I'm, I'm trying to think when i first came across Litchfield motors it must have been when you had um is it the r35 gtr is that the sort of current is shape when that yes the most recent one I mean, yeah it's been evolved a lot since then yes um and then because you're a bit of a, a gtr specialist i guess since doing all this jdm stuff up till now yeah well we've always had we've always had gtr skylines in the past um, even when we were sort of very busy with Subaru and we uh, had been invited over to Tokyo to see the launch of the new Impreza hatchback at the time. Mm. And by chance, they, they launched the GTR in 2007 as well. So as soon as we saw the car, in particular, they had a cutaway. So you could see all of the kind of technical aspects okay. of it. And, and a lot of the components are shared with Subaru as well um, in terms of turbos and things. Mm. So we recognized a lot of it. So we had the very first GTR in Europe, Okay. Um, and it, um, yeah, it's worked fantastically for us. And we've, we've, we sort of certainly specialise in it. We probably have about fifty cars on site, and um, yeah, plenty, to, plenty to get done anyway. Yeah, I remember I I came once to have to drive your M2 that had right. some suspension on it. Um, right, okay. And then ended up doing something else end up getting rid of the car in the end but i remember seeing your car park and there was like 40 gtrs or something there's a lot of cars so what's... and they just arrive so the, the aa will just turn up and drop cars <laughs> off and having to work out whose car it is and things nice um, but uh, no it's it's it's, it's worked well for us the GTR. Um, and what po- what point in time did you start putting together packages like upgrade packages for all of these cars the first time i drove the gtr I convinced myself that it didn't need to do anything to it because it was just, it was so far removed from anything else performance wise back in mm. 2007, 2008, it was on a completely different planet. Um, but very quickly you get used to it and then you start to evolve and the software evolves. And, and before you know it, you're, you're, you're producing a lot more power. And it's something we'd always done back in the Subaru day because of every car had to be tuned to get through yeah. the emissions test we would provide them with a little bit more power than the, the standard output. <laughs> yeah. um, they'd have more power than the UK model anyway. Uh, and then naturally we then did exhaust systems and intakes and suspension kits. And then we produced our own model at the time called the uh, the Type 25. And it was really just to showcase what we could do, but it became a real sales success. And we sold, I think there were 35 of those in the mm. first generation. It had really good reviews in, in magazines that we got second in in auto cars driver driver car we did very well in evo magazine in their car of the year so yeah it kind of evolved from them so we started producing sort of our own models basically yeah and um, if, if you're okay so if you're building a gtr if someone came to you and 
buys one of your models, what are you aiming to get to do with that kit? Obviously, more power, but other than that... Yeah, it depends what the customer wants. So some customers want to do track days, so we'll tailor the car towards track day use. Um, Some customers want it as a weekend toy, just want it generally faster. But there's lots of stuff we do where it makes the car more drivable, more comfortable, uh, more usable every day, as well as just being outright quicker. And then we have the sort of crazy bills where they want 1,000-plus horsepower and they want to do high-speed events or whatever the thing might be. So we can kind of tailor it to suit whatever the customer's needs are. What sort of thing would you do to make it more livable day-to-day? Well, we do our own suspension kit with Bill Stein. Okay. We've done over 500 sets of that now. Um, and it has our own valving inside, different spring rates. Um, and it just, it's a much smoother ride. Still mm. uses the electronic button. We can improve the steering so you get more steering feel. There's endless, endless <laughs> options with the car. Do a lot of people, because my experience of, of friends who have cars like, or have had cars like that, they get a bit more power. And then six months later, they're like, okay, I want more power. And then they yeah. come back again and they're like, I want more power. And it just like, just escalates chasing this. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter how much power you give somebody, they'll get used to it. And unfortunately with the GTR, it's so competent to put the power down yeah. that you very quickly think, well, I can take more then. And they can take more then. And it and it's becomes a vicious cycle then. And we sort of put together popular stages of mm. different power levels that um, different collection of parts you need to reach certain power. And, um, they prove very popular and people um, people select what they want, but often they work their way up through the stage, which in some yeah. ways is quite nice because you get to appreciate each level as it changes. So it does work well. Yeah, and they keep coming back to you for, for the extra upgrades. Well, hopefully, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. Can you explain the stage system? Because I, I, I see, you know, stage one, stage two, stage yeah. three, and I presume there is a reason why one stage one and one stage two. Or, it's or really it because a lot of customers... A lot of customers don't either don't understand or, or, or don't really care about what goes into making uh, a certain power level. They just want mm. 600 horsepower, 650 horsepower, whatever the power level might be. So we kind of group the parts together in the stage system. And what started off as a simple stage one was just a remap and an exhaust. And stage two um, might have been a bit more of an exhaust and a bit more power. And then it evolved and then, then customers or we develop an intake kit. And so you're like, okay, so that, that'll be stage three then. And then, right. then you do intakes and injectors for sort of 640 horsepower. Now, well, that's stage four. And so that's fine. And then until you start developing more parts and they kind of sit halfway between the two and then you're like, well, okay, well, that's kind <laughs> of stage four and a half. And it gets ridiculous in the end. But it's what customers recognize. It's useful for the staff. We say to yeah. any of our staff, this car needs stage four. They know exactly what parts are going to be needed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's our own internal thing. I'm sure everybody has something different, but it's it's something that's kind of, uh, it's it's become pretty standard now. Okay, so but it's not necessarily like an industry standard. No, no, it's entirely internal. And it's done for the most boring reasons. You know, there's, there's nothing... <laughs> remotely exciting it was just to, to group components together and make it more understandable for a customer what they were what they're paying for and what they expect at the end of it yeah you have expanded out massively from those initial days of tuning well gtrs and whatnot but like when i had a little look on your website on your website and you do everything like i say everything obviously it's not quite everything but uh what i just having a little look you've got an Alpine A110, 
I'm one of them in. Yeah, yeah. Had, had um, a bit of a play with that. Yeah, yeah. They're good cars. Very good cars. What? I think. Um, well, first and foremost, I'm I'm a car enthusiast. Mm. Most of my staff, all of our staff, are car enthusiasts. Um, so we're very lucky that we can cherry pick the cars we want to work with. So we tend to only work with good cars, which makes yeah. it easy for us, makes it fun. Um, so yeah, well, as soon as we heard of the Alpine coming, we were at the Geneva Motor Show. My wife and I, we saw the you know the the shell and the and the original design. We thought, oh, it's fantastic, lightweight, it's completely different. We'll get one. Um, and it, sometimes they're not particularly good from a commercial point of view. We're never going to sell thousands of Al- you know, Alpine yeah. turbo kits or whatever. But it's it's just a great car, and it's good fun to work with nice cars. And we, we're doing a lot of uh, Porsches now, yeah. McLaren. Um, we, we're doing really well with the new GR Yaris, which is a fantastic little oh, car. right, yeah. How's that been? Um, it's brilliant. And it's funny, it's, it's, it gets more interest than anything else. If I put a post up about anything to do with the Yaris, it gets sort of 10 times response compared nice. to you could have a thousand horsepower GTR or McLaren or whatever <laughs> it is, but everybody wants to know about the Yaris. So it's definitely the car at the moment. And it is a great, great car. It's, um, I'm, I'm driving one in a couple of weeks time. I haven't driven, right, I haven't okay. driven one yet. What have you done with yeah. that car? Or what are you aiming to do with that car? We've done suspension to make it uh, more comfortable and, and handle a bit better. Um, we've got a small power upgrade that we've done. We're doing exhaust. Um, we're doing seat rails because you sit too high in the car. Oh, yeah, I heard that. Um, yeah, just simple things, really. We're hoping it'll be our next Subaru Evo that we used to be so busy with. It's yeah. the Everyman Hero car. It's just a great, affordable, fun car. Yeah, finally a car that's come out that's like reasonably affordable that is quite yeah. cool. Whereas yes. often you look at these things and they're just all the cool ones are 70, 80, 90, 100 up, 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 up in price. Even even GTRs. Like how much is a GTR now? Like a normal GT, a normal GTR is sort of 85, 90,000 now. So they've really they gone up in price. 52, 900 when they came out. So remember, it's, it's increased significantly. Didn't they have like at one point it was like 10 grand a year or something? They were going they would up. seemed like five or six grand jumps, yeah. yeah. I, I think with the GTR, Nissan have never been particularly fussed about selling quantity. It was mm. always a halo product. So they would try and find a natural balance for where, you know, I think they only sold like five or six Nismos last year in, in, in and yeah. they sold two or three of them. So they're not that concerned about the sales on the GTR. But, um, but the Yaris falls into just the right price point. And interestingly, we've, a lot of our more wealthy kind of car collector customers, mm. they're all buying Yaris's because it harks <laughs> back to their fun youth that they had yeah, and, yeah. and stuff like that. So it should be interesting over the next uh, year or two with, with that car. Yeah, it's interesting. And like you said, I think most of the people, I know a few people that have bought them and a lot of people that are interested. And most of them have, well, I know loads of people that are interested, but like some of the people that are ordering, like you said, they all have, loads of other very expensive cars and they're like yeah yes. I, want, I want a yaris <laughs> and it's and it's quite funny that they can't get them straight away as well yeah, yeah. so they're sort of stomping their feet <laughs> that their local dealer can't supply one till the summer or the winter yeah on this little Toyota. Ovis, aren't they? <laughs> yeah people like romans so, no, are it's... buying up a yaris <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah exactly yeah it's just fun so so you pick cars you kind of want to work on and then what what else have i seen you had a while ago, 911T, which I 
presume, was that for you the start of working with that engine, well, the turbocharged Porsche? It started or? working with that three-litre engine, yeah. Uh, it, we got one of um, the first ones. That's an amazing car, a really, really good car. Um, and the engine itself is superb. So we've got um, a priority. We just bought ourselves a 992 as well yeah. to uh, work on that. I just think they're just, at the moment, they're probably the, one of the best all-round cars you can buy. Mm. Um, they're, they're so competent, like just all the boring stuff. And yet they're blisteringly quick when you want them. And there's plenty of scope to make it more individual tuning. Um, so, yeah, I, I love the, the new Porsches. They're superb. Yeah, and the, I, this whole world of most most modern cars having turbocharged engines i guess for you guys is like the best thing ever it's brilliant yeah you've got the combination of uh, turbocharged engines and extremely strict emissions so that the exhaust systems and, uh, are really compromised uh, but the engine in order to make any kind of reasonable power is, is, uh, is extremely efficient so when you uncork it it just naturally makes great performance improvements so if you take like, have you got an S or a Carrera? I bought an all Carrera because yeah. ultimately we'll be doing turbos, um, I'm sure. So um, the, the rest of the cars are same. The turbos are marginally yeah. smaller. But even a, a retune on that gives you another 100 horsepower. So <laughs> it's it's a different car, you know. It's it's amazing. And then if and, and is that, did you just basically swap out the exhaust? And then They're just, that's just a remap. That's literally just, just literally a remap. calibration. Uh, work if we change the exhaust system as well it will give it another 20 30 horsepower and why why is it so easy to give it like 100 horsepower what like what's in just because the core the core engine is so good and manufacturers will often build a car to the end of life so if you look at the gtr it came out at 480 horsepower mm. but that car was uh tested right back at the beginning to over 600 brake to be 100 percent reliable I think it was like 640, 630 okay. horsepower was 100% reliability in terms of how reliable it would be compared to running 480. Mm. Um, so they then every year, as you see, they just bring out a little bit more power, a little bit more power, yes, and we can just yeah. skip that whole process. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, so you, you have to take it in stages, but it's quite clear when you, when you see the data coming back from the engine what, what it can and can't do. So, yeah, some of the new stuff is very, very good. And I also think because it's the last, we're in the last throes of mm. combustion engines, a lot of the the technology manufacturers have held back. They're just putting into the engines now because they've got kind of nothing to lose. And, it, and, and so they make, they make incredible power. So how do you work out that, it, you know, it's a great situation that they've built it for whatever, 600 horsepower or something. But how do you know that it can take 600 horsepower? Just well, wind the in the GTR, we, we know the people that tested the engine for <laughs> Nissan because okay. they have to. They sent it out for third-party testing, and we know people at Nissan. Uh, but in but other cars, you you can just see from the data, from temperatures, pressures, what how hard the engine is actually sort of working and okay. trying. Um, so you can you can make good educated guesses on on what power levels to set things at. Okay, so you can wind the boost up a little bit, watch and see all the temperatures, everything. Yeah. And presumably as it's starting to reach the point where it might explode, everything, all these numbers start to rapidly go up. Exactly. It's, it's an exponential increase. You'll see that the mm. temperatures and pressures will start to drastically go up at a certain point. And as soon as you back that back a little bit, it's, it's completely happy again. So you can you can sort of quietly work on it. We've got dynos, engine dynos, everything to test yeah. it on. So, so if, if you put... 
let's say a hundred extra horsepower in your C2, mm-hmm. um, is that pretty much you'd be reasonably confident to say? Do, would you provide some sort of engine warranty on your? Yeah, well, work? we we warranty all of our our workmanship, and we warranty the um, the components we install on the car. We don't warranty the rest of the car, um, but yeah. then the manufacturer. Any tuning you do will void the warranty on on that area. But if your electric windows pack up or your air conditioning, yeah. you've still got cover with the manufacturer. But if you have a drivetrain problem, you're going to have an issue um, yeah. if you take it back to Porsche. And there's no way of hiding. A lot of get asked all the time if if we can hide it from the manufacturers. But there'll always be a way for them to test. So it's much safer to explain to the customer that no, if you if you choose to tune the car, then you are going to void that element of the warranty. That's just you know the the, the the question they have to ask themselves when they want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's always something because I've I've had a few cars where it might have been an option to you know bump the power up a little bit, and mm-hmm. it's that trade off of going well, do I want my warranty or am I? And I've I, so far I've not I've never I've never done it, but it, the it's definitely appealing <laughs> some of the yeah. easy power gains, especially on something like a Carrera two or something like that, because you're saving yeah. so much on the price. But there's also, the yeah, there's also things manufacturers do on other cars where, you know, you take an Audi R8, for example, V10, a plus and a non-plus. The airbox is marginally different on the plus, but other than that, it's mainly that they don't give you full throttle on the non-plus. Okay. So that is the difference in, you know, it's like 40 horsepower, 50 horsepower yeah, difference yeah. just because they don't open the throttle. It used to be the same with the V8, um, amg c63s as you go up in the power level was it just that mercedes gave it more throttle so the relationship <laughs> between the accelerator and the throttle change so it's you know there's there's simple things like that you can do where you just let it do what it wants to do yeah i've heard a lot of in bmws people would be like oh can i have the cs map or whatever and yes it's literally it's just that like. yeah we do a lot of that we do a lot of that with the um the m4s we'll put like gts software in the gearbox we'll mm. put cs software in the differentials and steering system because mechanically it's it's the same it's just the calibration difference and you know the difference between an early 2014 m4 and and the more recent ones is huge in terms of the way it drives but really it's just calibration as bmw have improved it so we'll mad. do that <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, I I can't remember what car it was, but there's loads of modern cars where you buy the car and they basically unlock the options afterwards, like whether it's sat nav or whatever. Like the car, it's cheaper for them to put all the sensors in and everything. Yeah, and yeah. then make it once. Yeah, make it once, and then you just you know you pay five hundred quid and they go put a, a one where there was a zero in the code. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, no, they're good. I mean, obviously, you can't fault them for it. I mean, that's oh, they're fair. trying to do it the best they can, and obviously, they've got a life cycle to think about for the car. So they they probably don't like people like ourselves coming along and and skipping a stage or two. But you've got, like you said, you you lose the warranty, and for a lot of people, that is enough to stop them doing it. And you have to search it out and whatnot, and then they'll yeah, you have you have to go into it with your eyes open. You can't, you know. And I, I think it's it's unfair on the manufacturers to expect if we've meddled with a car to expect them to pick up the pieces if there was to be a problem. That's just, you know, it's not the way it should work. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I've turned my boost up to some stupid number and the engine yeah. exploded. Can you uh, give me a new engine? No, no. no. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely exactly. not happening. In terms of um, at the sort of power levels, let's say your stage one power levels, um, is the car, occasionally you hear, or I've heard that cars can become slightly more efficient in everyday driving. Is that um, I think it's it's more the case on diesels, which we right. sometimes something we do an awful lot with, and that's more just the way a diesel engine works. If you run more boost for it, petrol cars not really, certainly not the new ones. The older ones, maybe like a GTR, where you know we'll tidy up the fuel map, and they would run particularly rich outside of the areas they normally okay. work in. So if the car accidentally overboost, it would run very rich. Um, so if we tidy that up, it, it's, it's a little bit better on fuel. But most cars are, are so, or most manufacturers are so conscious of emissions and fuel consumption that there really isn't a, much of a gain to be had for, for that. Mm. Um, once the car's up and running on full power, yes, we'll make an improvement, but sort of cruising around, it'll be, it'll be almost non-existent. Yeah. And when you're doing a map for a car, because most, most performance cars nowadays, apart from the old McLaren, uh, you can put kind of whatever fuel within reason you want in it and then it will be okay. But when you've remapped stuff, does that narrow a bit? And you say, okay, I'll um, put it, it in will do, yes. or something. Yeah, we still have, you still keep all of, or you should keep all of the manufacturer safety features in there. Um, so they have extremely complicated ignition timing maps and yeah. things. Some of the Porsches, for example, can have like 64 different maps. <laughs> okay. So you might only need to adjust some of them that are to do with good octane. But if it detects uh, poor fuel quality, it then drops back down onto okay. the, the lower uh, maps. So, yeah, yeah, again, it's all about understanding the car, the engine, the ECU. And it takes time. It takes time to work, work through it all. And is that getting harder as time goes by and newer cars come out um, to sort of crack the ECU. It can do, yes. You know, for the Yaris, for example, we, there's no way into that ECU right now. Um, once we can get into it, then we need to understand what they've done and why they've done it. Yeah. And then we can make adjustments um, from there. So it will take a little while to perfect some of the ECU tuning on some of the cars. Some of the stuff where it's got like a Bosch ECU, we're kind of used to those, the language now. So whether it's a Mercedes or McLaren or audi it's essentially the same ecu and the logic behind it is essentially the same so um, that makes life easier uh, but it still takes a lot of time on the dyno and on the road just to understand it all yeah 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 have you done uh what mclaren's have you done you done a seven, you've done a 720 yeah we had our own 720 we had that for um for nine months so we did quite a bit of work with that that's a a bonkers car and we've got a 570 gt now um, okay yeah because it was um a lot more popular a lot more of them so we've done a lot of work on that in fact we just had a uh, had evo magazine in it yesterday so we've done a differential because they all all the mclarens have an open diff yeah so um Ooh, when you really diff. push on it can catch you out on track with the yeah. open diff um so that that works very well done uh, suspension to to make it ride a little bit better handle a bit better um and we've done more modern turbos so it spools up faster makes more power less temperature and ecu work as well so we've, we've done an awful lot on the on the 570 how much changes between a 570 engine and a well i guess i don't know when that, that when that came out timeline whether it was 720 but 
between a let's say a 570 engine and a, either 650s or a 720 uh, very little on the 720 720s slightly larger it's four liter instead of 3.8 and they run a slightly larger version of the old uh, mitsubishi turbos that they had on there before mm. so they get the extra performance that way we've just gone through it and tried to modernize it where they've used older older parts to just bring it up to date and it and it makes it drive much much better all right and what sort of power are you getting out of the 570 570 we've, we've kept it about actually about 720 horsepower because it, it puts it down so well yeah and it if you go more than that it, it becomes a real handful and probably less enjoyable to drive and, and the goal wasn't necessarily to make it the fastest thing it was just to make it nicer yeah um the 720 we've had we did one the other day with just down pipes and a remount that was like 80 to 85 something like that horsepower <laughs> and it was just ridiculous i mean absolutely ridiculous how quick that car was almost to the point where you wouldn't want to drive it an awful lot because you drive it once scare yourself and then put it back in the garage <laughs> take something else because it's just too much and and that's the problem with some stuff you can just go too far yeah so it's finding that that right balance what's the scariest car you've built um some of our gtrs have been wild we've got a track car which is good fun it's about 300 kilos lighter um and uh that's proper fast proper proper quick but we, oh, we built another one actually it's got a load of aero that we're um we're taking to the nurburgring we've done a few free few trips there and um that's frightening mainly because it's way beyond my capabilities of driving it's, right it's so fast and it's got aero as well so every time you think you're going too quickly it's like it's nothing so then you go quicker again and, and you start to realize that now you're going so fast that it's way beyond my understanding of, of those sort of cars yeah, so yeah. we leave it to a professional driver <laughs> fair fair yeah i get that and then there is a certain point when you're driving on a track or whatever and somewhere that's narrow and you go hang on a minute i know i'm still within the capabilities of this car but if yeah. i if something goes wrong <laughs> i'm hitting that wall really damn fast but we get but it, it, it particularly the gtr it's frightening we used to have customers we go to the nurburgring and they'd be saying oh well, i'm doing 200 mile an hour down the straight and you're like you're not a particularly good driver and this car <laughs> is is you know at the point you have an issue you're really you're going to be in trouble yeah. um so yes they can be almost too quick too good for their own for their own good sometimes i i, I can't remember where i heard it but it was something someone was saying it was basically about four-wheel drive. Driving a four-wheel drive car in the wet on a track, all that means is you arrive at the next corner way too fast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because when you turn in, it doesn't matter that it's not four-wheel drive. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's um, yeah, and, and it lulls you into false sense of security. And we put additional traction control systems and stuff on the GTR to contain it all. And uh, but even then, it's it can be a wild ride, and, and to the point where you you, you well, I certainly have to mentally tell myself to keep my foot down because it's right. accelerating at such an uncomfortable rate, <laughs> and every time you change the gear, it's just the same, and you're like, no, this is this is this is too much. So, but it's so, fun. It's fun. Yeah. So with the the more nutty end of GTR, what sort of power? Um, we've done, done some like sort of 1400 horsepower okay and um that's more than enough and at what point and, and certainly it... 1400 horsepower in cars that weigh less it becomes it's too much the gtr as ridiculous as it sounds it sits nicely around 800 horsepower okay it does it it's it everything's happy 
um, it works. But you're too close to that magic thousand horsepower and, and people want a thousand. So then you do a thousand and it will do it and it will put it down. But you're really traveling on a, a thousand horsepower, a genuine thousand horsepower GTR is, is ridiculously fast. And then after that, it's just bragging rights. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, so, I've got 1500. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. In, yeah. in something like a 14, 1500 horsepower car, yeah, like at what speed does it stop pulling unbelievably hard? Well, you, you, you're now into traction issues. So you'll spin all four wheels in fourth in the uh, in 1400 horsepower. So right. you might only be able to use 1400 in sort of top end of fourth or fifth gear. So you have to control the torque in the lower gears. And do you map that in? Yeah, you have to, yeah. And then, you, then you're relying on traction control systems to cope with subtle changes in roads because then the road surface becomes important. You know, yeah. a bump that on a, you know, on a, on some of the best, so around the Nürburgring, for example, there's certain bumps which aren't even something you'd register in an M3 or an M4. Yeah. It's not even a concern, but you'll go airborne in a GTR because you hit it so much faster. And it's, it's stuff like that that catches people out. So you have to be, um, you have to be quite careful. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Like, yeah, weird. Putting a diff, as, and mm-hmm. is it just a locking mechanical diff? I said just, but like in, in the McLarens, that is an inspired idea. I've, I've never, well, I've never come across. It's not that, really. It's it's I mean, kind it of what sense. every manufacturer does. It's, yeah. it's more of a, an interesting one. Why they bothered not doing it in the first place? Because their race cars have it. It adds. We weighed it because one of the arguments was it adds weight. Yeah, yeah. Well, it adds two point four kilograms. Okay, that's not. Um, <laughs> it's it's really not. You have more traction in a straight line. More traction out of a bend. It, the car's more stable. Drivable, yeah. There's just no downside to it whatsoever outside of maybe cost so yeah it, it, it's transformed it but it, it was it was trying to find a compromise that uh, wouldn't upset the electronics because we've got right. some clever electronics on there to, to simulate a diff yeah so i feel like we've got something now that um mechanically sorts out the balance of the car before um before anything else so it's it's straightforward okay uh, so and it then- just it just grips so the sensors and stuff that would normally detect one wheel faster, going faster than another and then break it, they're yes, still well, that, there. That, that speed difference isn't there now. But the, because, the wheels, and they never get to that situation where it needs to Well, they, they can, but it's, it's, it's done at a, a smooth level. So it's, it's, the diff isn't wound particularly tight. So right. the, the, um, the electronics can still kick in, but for most sort of high-speed driving or a small drift and things like that, the electronics haven't woken up and realised what's happening before the mechanical side of things has is, is got everything back in line. So it does work very well. Yeah, no, that's that sounds like a... It seems stupid that this is something you have to do, but it sounds like a very good thing. It sounds like it's, it's the thing people do on their two series. They're like, oh, yeah, it'd be way better with a diff. And you're like, yes, it yes. would. But yeah. like, you've actually got to do it on a McLaren. Yeah, um, but... You can see from their point of view that the car, they can do on standard engine performance, they can get away with an electronic side. And most customers aren't going to drive it hard enough to notice. So now you're catering for a smaller minority. So, so, and then you throw in the cost difference and all those sort of things. And so I can understand it from a cynical point of view, but 
um, it makes such a difference to the improvement. And every McLaren has the same gearbox. So um, it can fit in a Senna or 650 yeah. or it just transform all of them. So Because that's the be thing. I, I haven't had a chance to drive one. Um, but the, the 765, I feel like yeah. a lot of the review, the feedback I've got from various people, it sounds like that sort of power figure is when you're really starting to run into issues with that lack spiky. of diff. Yeah, it becomes really spiky. I mean, I've not driven one, but I, I tuned plenty of 720s at a bit more power. And, and um, yeah, it, it becomes unpleasant to drive them because you're leaning on the systems and the systems are struggling. Yeah. Um, and they, they intervene at the wrong point. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, again, for most customers, they'll just put their foot down in a straight line, scare themselves and go, yeah, that car's amazing. But when you really push it, and it hits bumps and it has to deal with bumps at the same yeah. time as putting power down. It, it starts to unravel quite quickly. Yeah. And that feeling of one wheel spinning in something that's got power of one wheel spinning up is it's not yes. good. It's just... Yeah. Well, that, the, that was the main driver for doing the, the 570 diff um, was because um, I took it to the Nürburgring. Um, and to drive it properly, you have to start turning off the traction control systems because yeah. they just get in the way. And then it would just light up an inside wheel and then the, all bets are off because there's no, it, it wouldn't do it predictably either. It would just suddenly hit a bump at the wrong point and, and it would just be enough to then light it up. And once it gets to start spinning, That's it. it would, um, yeah, it, it wasn't pleasant. <laughs> and presumably you cook a lot of brakes if you're driving. Oh, yeah, hugely, yeah, because it's trying to clamp, you know, <laughs> and, and do stuff and just gets in. Yeah, it's just a pain basically yeah it's like that it's that thing everyone says don't do although i think in karting it's not quite the same but like driving with both both pedals at the same time <laughs> slamming yeah. on the brakes well, it's, it's the like having it's like one of those like um learner driver cars where somebody else has got the brake yeah. pedals because yeah. it just you're not quite sure when it's going to suddenly do something um and that's uh that can be unpredictable and that and that just wants you like i don't want to drive a car that's like that like that if, if you don't know what it's going to do and, and yeah, but you have, reality, you have to be driving it hard. Yeah, yeah, you have to be driving it hard. So, so that kind of narrows the number of people who'd be stupid Pretty enough small, to take a yeah. Jeep to McLaren around the Nürburgring. But it's, yeah, it, it just makes the car much better, much, much better. And it'll be interesting to see if they put diffs in the new cars because if they're going to have um, a hybrid power, they're going to have a lot more torque load down. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they revert back to what, you know, there's no coincidence why one of the best handling cars is a, a GT3 Porsche, and that has a mechanical rear yeah. diff, doesn't it? So, yeah, I had a I had a Boxster 981 Boxster when they came out, and I didn't. I, this, it was just sort of beginning of my learning to drive, not quite learning to drive, but you know what I mean. Um, and the guy, the salesman, said, I, "I was like, oh, should I get the diff?" And you had to get a few things. You had to get the Sport Chrono, this. PASM suspension and then you could have the diff like it was like a that was the option and he was like nah you won't notice it no one cares like it's not worth the 600 quid or whatever it was and then I remember like a year later in in an alpine road or something just distinctly feeling one wheel like starting to burn up and like "Ah, ah." (laughs) and then from that moment on everything has had a diff yes yeah it, it, it makes things much much better (laughs) yeah it's a funny one um oh yeah so what's the difference between a good tune and a bad tune because you 
you can get a tune and a tune, for example. Like loads of people offer tuning. And what does a bad one look like? And what does a good obviously you can't tell from the outside other um, the people, but yeah. like, what well, sort we, of things? we see it a lot. <laughs> um I guess it's the same as any industry, isn't it? You 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 get back what you put into things and there's shortcuts around and uh, to... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We see it a lot and it's just normally a lack of care and attention. And time spent on things. That's really what you notice. Um, and you start finding the ECU sort of working too hard to try and comp- you know, compensate for not putting the right values where they need to be. Um, and then the whole driving experience isn't as good. And it's it's not just the outright horsepower. Actually, making the numbers relatively easy. It's the drivability side that right. um, it takes the time. There's no coincidence why there's thousands and thousands of maps in an ECU um, to help with drivability and just changing a handful of them isn't going to make it any better. Um, so, so what we don't tend to concentrate on what others do to be fair. We, we just yeah, do our, yeah. own, our own stuff. Yeah. What, um, what percentage of those maps do you change? Or does it vary from car to car? It does vary from car to car. Well, to give you an idea, and this is the scary thing is that, um, you can, you can, very quickly see tunes where people clearly don't know what they're doing. So on a, on a BMW M4, for example, you might need to change maybe 120 maps, something like that to get the, to get the right result, to get it working properly. It's all working as it should do, but we'll get files in that are terrible to drive and make less power. And they've changed 450 something because they just don't know what they're changing. Right. So they might see, and there's really scary ones are where they'll see something to do with torque. So it'd be like a torque limit. Anything that mentions torque limit or anything like that will lift them out of the way. But then, of course, when the car has a problem and it goes, okay, I'll drop back onto one of my safe maps. Now that torque limit's lifted out of the way and now it's even worse. So you see some real scary stuff. Um, so, yeah, if, you, if you're tuning a car, when, when you've got it set up right, you don't have to change a lot. I mean, the GTR, we is immense the amount of map changes we we, we make it's, it's there's a lot of stuff that goes into that but we we really understand that ECM. yeah and years of tuning it and driving cars because i imagine there's probably some people that almost don't necessarily drive it they're just like well we own the cars that's the big yeah. difference we you know if we're tuning a porsche because we we own a porsche we bought 992s we bought mclaren's got the alpine yaris's you can't just pop it on the dyno for an hour and go Oh, that'd be there better. You go, yeah. um, you, you've got to you've got to live with it and understand it. 
that's half the fun anyway. It's, you know, you want to just take a customer car and make changes and send him on his way. You'd want to understand what you're doing properly. Yeah, I imagine that you get a lot out of that, like being able to drive a car over a long period of time, tweak this, tweak that. You suddenly end up in a different situation, temperature or whatever, and you're like, yes. oh, this is not quite right. And then... And and also you get improvements that way because it's like ever decreasing circles that you make a tiny change here and it suddenly opens up another opportunity there and you just slowly evolves over time because there's no time pressures when it's your own car you can you can take as much time as you need to to perfect yeah. it. What and um, what do you think? So the the le- the newest one you've had is the Yaris. Mm-hmm. Um, have you got any other cars in your sights? Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what the the new M3 will be like. Mm. Um, that engine's very good. That's in the in the the new M3. No, I think we're, I'm interested to see what the new McLarens are going to be like, the hybrids. Yeah. But it's more, it's not necessarily from a work point of view. It's more from, yeah, yeah. you know, my own. You know, we've had Taycans and all sorts of stuff that aren't really related to what we do. It's just because we like having nice, interesting cars. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really interested to see the new GT3. Really, we'll probably do almost no tuning to that whatsoever. But I'm really looking forward to seeing what that's yeah what that's going to be like. I, I am super excited for that car. I, yes, and I, I love the fact that they've sounds small. I think to a lot of people, but the front end suspension is like complete, like proper. I'd, I'd like to know how they've managed to keep the weight the same. I think that's yeah. going to be fascinating because um, it's a big car, the 992, really big car relative to to the other 911s that have gone before. So how they've kept the weight down will be fascinating. And I think they've kind of done the front end now because I think that's one of the weaknesses they had in racing that that, that yeah. set up. Um, so it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how it performs on track. But that that's always, for me, been the benchmark of, of a track car is, is, the, is the Porsche. It must be extremely difficult to keep up in the game each time. Well, imagine when they put it out that right now we're going yeah. to do the RS model. <laughs> you know, yeah. what, what do we do next because yeah. i think it used to be for me it was always the rs1 was the most interesting and then um when they switched from to going to only pdk they became slightly less interesting to me um but yeah it's it's funny how every, every time a new gt3 comes out all the magazines are like this is the best car ever 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 <laughs> until the next one comes out and then there'll be comes a year, out. yeah and, then, <laughs> and there'll be maybe whatever it is, three years in between when other manufacturers win the awards because Porsche hasn't made a GT3 that specific year. <laughs> it's like they've allowed, they've sneaked in. Exactly. Yeah. I always think those okay. awards are quite funny because it's, and I, I understand why it is how it is, but it's the best car made that year, which anyone that follows cars at all knows that that's never the best cars. <laughs> I always know that the pain they go through when they're sort of agonizing over scoring the cars because they, they really don't want to give it to the Porsche again. Yeah. <laughs> but they kind of have to each time, which is quite amusing. Um yeah. And and I also I like the confidence Porsche have with their with their products as well. They're they're um, they're always very good. And I think when they go off to magazines, there's there's they're not very controlling. Whereas some yeah. other car manufacturers can be quite controlling over what is done or not done with their products. Whereas yeah. Porsche don't care because they're so confident in it. You know? <laughs> they just know. Like, well, it's just yeah, we well, it's it's gonna be, yeah, why should we wait? It'll work. Of course it'll be fast. Yeah. yeah. It's the one that you compare it against and no one makes anything that can compare. Have you yeah. worked a lot on um, on AMGs? 
Um, yeah, we've done quite a lot of the V8s, um, more simple tuning on those. We would do, uh, we've done quite a lot of the four litres. In fact, we've got a four litre uh, twin turbo on the dyno at the moment. Um, they make great power. There's another sort of 100 horsepower, 120 horsepower for a yeah. from those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, they're, they're just Monsters. good cars, but they're not, they're great in a straight line as such. They're not really, the customers aren't so interested in doing much more than a remap. They're, yeah. they're, just a, they're just a really nice car yeah because it's funny like if, if you said to me you can change something on a car like any of the cars i own or whatever it would generally be suspension would be my first one and not from a looks point of view yeah not uh I, occasionally you want it to be a little bit lower but as a byproduct yeah. maybe it's just i want it to go down a road better whereas i think because so many modern cars are so stiffly sprung and they just kind of like bounce around everywhere. It's bizarre, it's bizarre isn't it? I think, I think chassis is probably my favourite thing mm. uh, in terms of what the stuff we do. It's the most satisfying and you can enjoy it at all speeds. So if you can make the car ride better, yeah. you're going to enjoy it just when you're bumbling along, let alone the handling side of it. So I, I really enjoy that. And also it's, um, it's very much a perceptive thing it's not like in numbers it's really yeah. hard to explain to somebody why it's better and you get to work with some really clever we're lucky in the uk we've got some very clever companies that do suspension bits and pieces and you can work with them and you're trying to explain to them what you want and then they're turning it into this sort of shim stack or spring rates and yeah it's quite satisfying to do but and, and also like you say the, the, some of the cars just ride so badly I, I sometimes i can't understand how they've they've signed it off it is it is odd i think it's a lot of the, the German manufacturers, for example, it's just they're built for Germany and German roads are just so much nicer in terms yes. of a flat point of view than the stuff we deal with. Um, that was a huge... My main problem with my M2 when I had that was it was just too stiff and then... Just, was it the original one you had? Yeah, I had the original one, yeah. It was useless, wasn't it? Um, and, and the M4 was the same. The, the original M4 was awful, the suspension, yet the newer ones are really quite good. And so it's not that they can't do it. It's just, it's bizarre. But the original M2 was terrible, I thought. Yeah, I don't understand. it, And it just messes up the rest of the car. Like if your yeah. suspension is too stiff or whatever, you, you're just losing traction. And then those engines are quite spiky anyway. Yeah. Um, and it just makes it, yeah, it's weird. But I can imagine, like you said, it's, it's quite difficult. Unless someone knows that this is what they're after trying to sell or sell someone a suspension upgrade in is like okay that just sounds like a, an amount of money but i don't tangibly know yes. what's going to be better You're like well, it well just... as another reason we have demo cars that someone can have a drive mm. and see what uh, see what they think but i the, the other thing with the, with the manufacturer that there's no downside to the manufacturer making the car ride better <laughs> you know, outside of spending more time on it there's no there's no disadvantage for them to make it nicer to drive um, i can understand from the performance like engine wise that there, there'd be compromises and emissions and all these things but from a ride quality point of view there's no there's no reason other than time constraints for them to be as bad as they are yeah and you drive and i don't want to keep coming back to the porsches but porsches generally the gt3 and rs's have always ridden surprisingly well yeah <laughs> Yeah, very firm. They're like firm, but like nicely yes. damped. I think just because they spent the time—that's you know—that that, and that and that highlights it for me that you you have a car that 
is exceptional on track and yet isn't uncomfortable if you're just driving down the road and then you get in something else. You go, that's just lazy. Yeah, I've always had a, a funny thing. Whenever I see a modern Ferrari, and I say modern like the last, I don't know, 12 years or something, they always have like fist-sized wheel, ga- wheel arches, <laughs> wheel gaps. And, they'll, you know, you are, I've heard all sorts of reasons for why this exists. And the one that I'd never buy is ride quality. Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I'll point at my, I've got a 997 GT3 RS. And yeah. it's like, it looks like it's almost slammed in that factory. Yes. And the ride yeah. is bloody great. And you're like, well, yes. <laughs> it's not a rally car, so. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, they are huge, aren't they? And then you look at a Speciale and it's a lot better. And you're thinking, yeah. well, you know, they put really narrow tyres on the, the normal model. And lo and behold, the performance model has slightly wider front tyres. Well, they're, it's, you know, <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, cynical thought goes into the, the the model steps i think yeah the marketing teams have got in there and gone we need got to sell there. cars further down the line or whatever um we used to have the best one we, we had was the subaru the original subaru hatchback which was pretty shocking mm. um was so wobbly on its on its chassis it was horrendous you pull up to a set of traffic lights and it would still rock <laughs> afterwards and so we developed a, a bush kit to, to, to stop all this. So it had yeah. less play. And I was speaking to one of the engineers from STI, a, a show know, a year later. And um, I said, oh, we've done this bush kit. It's transformed the chassis. It now does what you tell it to do. And he says, oh, we've, we'd already designed that. There's a part number for it. He said, but it went to the marketing department and more importantly to the US. And the Americans went, oh, I won't go over expansion joints properly. So we changed it and he put these soft bushes in there. So it's not like they they haven't thought about these things. It's just that somebody else has come along and said, "Oh, actually, the Americans that is eighty percent of your market yeah. would like it." I I so. feel so sorry for some of the engineers on some of these. Can you imagine because, all the hard work? Yeah, because they they must. Everyone, I think you you come across these aftermarket companies that are like like yourselves. They're like yeah. I put a diff in a McLaren and. There'll be engineers that are like, we know this will be better. We could have designed this tons better than this random but bloke. But their race cars have it in. It's not like <laughs> it's rocket science, you know. Some, but somebody, they go, yeah, we know. We know. We told them they wouldn't listen. Yeah. You know, £200 cheaper per car, whatever it was. Exactly. You know. <laughs> 10,000 cars a year, whatever. Yeah. No, it's... And, and then it, it, it does make it when you've got someone that's really gone to the next level to make to do the extra stuff, whether it's like your Yaris GR, they've clearly gone to town on that car to make it mm-hmm. a better driver's car. They didn't have to, they could have just made yes. it wide. And those cars I think do stand out. And I, I hope they do well for the brands because as recognition that they've actually put in, they've gone over and above where they needed to. Yeah, I think the Yaris proves it, doesn't it? I think that the, the goodwill towards Toyota over the last few months from that one car mm. is shown that, and that there's a market for it. This is why you used to get so frustrated with Subaru when they decided they'd pull out of rallying or, or producing yeah. the, the Impreza. They had they had a captive market of of loyal customers that love genuinely loved the cars that they could sell two or three thousand cars a year. Yeah. And yet they decided, well, actually, I think we'd rather concentrate on SUVs. It's, it's less, it's easier to do and less high, high pressure from the customers. And, and I just think there's a massive waste opportunity. And then this Yaris has come along and proved that the customer's still there. That market is still there. We want fun cars and we'll spend the money on them. 
um, if they'll make them. And Toyota have come along and, and, and done a, an amazing job of it. Yeah, absolutely. They, there's so many... I think we sort of get led down this route of cars that people think customers might want. They're like, oh, well, they bought this SUV, so let's make an SUV version of something that doesn't, shouldn't be an SUV or whatever. And then it goes yeah. down this route and blah, 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 blah. But then you look back, like you said, like, oh, this sort of rally area. And I was, it was sort of before I'd started driving and stuff, really, and all the Subarus and Evos and stuff like that. They were damn cool. And if you see they those cars, and if you see those cars rallying, you want to buy the road car. And it yes. doesn't, there aren't many. The one thing that rally cars can do is you can have a cheaper car, like, you know, whatever, your Fiesta or something, and have, if they did, the Fiesta like, sells very well anyway, but if they had one that kind of looked like a rally car, I think yeah. that would sell a lot. Um, whereas uh, yeah. other uh, racing we, we, is always like GT cars and then it's super high end. And then the performance is irrelevant for the road. Yeah, and and you know we I've got um, I've kept one of my old um, Subaru Spec C's that it's like a 2007 is sort of the last of the proper Spec C cars, mm. and I get in that, and it's so much better than any of the latest Audi, Mercedes, hot hatches, yeah. which are probably loads quicker. But the moment you turn the steering, the moment you turn the steering, it's a different car. You know exactly what it's going to do. It's fun. It doesn't need to be the fastest thing. It's just brilliant fun. And I would happily take that on a Sunday drive into the Cotswolds and have a riot at sensible speeds. Yeah. Whereas you get into some of the new hypercars now and they're just they're too fast. They're just, and then therefore they're not fun as much fun to drive. Yeah. And um, like you said, with the, the 1500 horsepower GTR, if you can't deploy full power till fourth, fifth gear, 150. 40 miles an hour yeah. or something we live in the uk like what the hell yeah. is the point like this, this it is a waste total but people people want i, I can understand it. it from a certain point of view people want it um because they can get it or there's bragging rights um and we, we've said before that the gtr is like it's like having your own roller coaster so when you've got something that crazy mm. it's fun to have in the garage but you'd have to have other cars because you could take it out on a sunny day, scare yourself and your friend silly, put it away again. Yeah. You know, that's that's the only point of it. You can't drive on a track because it's just too you can't deploy the power, it's a waste of time. Yeah. Um drag racing, um, I guess you could go and do drag racing, it's not really for us, but it, you could do that with it. But other than that, there's not an awful lot of point. Um and if you had a GTR that was sub eight fifty horsepower, it'd be way faster on the road because you wouldn't be second guessing it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And and the, you know you had that with the seven twenty that you you tune it and it was fantastic. But then the moment you hesitate because you're not sure if it can use the power, mm. then then a normal one is gone. You know, yeah, because they can just enjoy it. I've I I found that a lot with yeah various cars. It's, it's always bloody GT threes, isn't it? But the 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 way the balance and everything like you can keep your foot in it over stuff that in other cars you'd hesitate. And like you said that. Yeah that difference of going over a little bump and knowing that it's not going to suddenly spit you out somewhere. Ultimately it's got the grip and it's going to keep going at a certain power level. There is a certain power level where it's a little bit damp and it, it, that is fun. That can be fun in yeah. itself where a car that's kind of a bit scary in a way that's controllable, not in a way 
cars that are scary where they just suddenly fire you off the road that's not yes. that's not fun but <laughs> it, it, no. i can see I think we, we we had a honda civic type r an fd2 japanese spec civic and we took that to the nurburgring this is probably back in 2003 something mm. like that and in the rain it was about the quickest car you could drive there because the throttle and the steering was so good that every bend you're making tiny changes yeah. and it was great fun to drive. And before you know it, you were, there was no chance of you having an accident and yet everybody else was hesitant, not sure, you know, it's yeah. going to bite them. This thing just went, you know, it was brilliant. And, and I was trying to remember that when, when we're making something really silly, because if you've got a 1400 horsepower GTR, when you put your foot down, you are hoping that it's going to yeah. hold on to traction because if it doesn't, then you're relying heavily on electronics to yeah. catch it before you can. Um, so. Yeah, and you've only got whatever it is, 45 degrees of throttle. So if yeah. you've got, got 1,400 horsepower, you're adding, and it doesn't come in evenly. You're adding and it doesn't a, come out straight away. So once those turbos yeah. are spooling up, if you, if you then suddenly have to back off, there is a moment of delay between yeah. that air being got rid of, you know, and, and the, the engine dropping power to control it. So... A normal aspirated car is is a lot more fun to drive on track than a, than a turbocharged car. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's 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 great that all of these things exist, um, but yeah, <laughs> it does make it quite interesting. I normally wrap these up with five questions. Are you ready? Okay, <laughs> they're easy. So, do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? Um, I took a Carrera GT to the Spa Grand Prix once nice. um, for a customer who wanted it to drive. <laughs> he wanted it to drive from his hotel to the pit lane, which was all of <laughs> about a quarter of a mile. And that was it. And then I had to take it all the way back again. So that, that was quite good fun because we, nice. we got phoned on the, on the Thursday. He wanted it for the Friday and it was like through the night drive. That was, that was good fun. Yeah. So do you do other stuff other than tuning and that sort of thing yeah we've got body shop we've got um storage facility we we sort of source rare and uh, high performance cars from customers from all around the world mm. so um we we get to experience some pretty special rare cars yeah that's cool that's cool right next question five car garage unlimited value <laughs> it has to fit into um, your life as in so. I think, well, my spec C would be in there. Yeah. That's one. Um, Ford GT, the original Ford, the, the last Ford like GT. Like the 60s or the 2004 no, the or whatever. No, 2000, amazing, yeah. absolutely amazing car. Um, GT3, Porsche, in pretty much any guise. Right. Uh, like Mercedes S class, SL, the Coupe, Mercedes S Coupe. It's a lovely car. If you oh, have to yeah. go somewhere long distance, that's a great car. My Carrera T, I adore that car. That's superb. That's five. Um, is that five, is it? I think so. Oh, maybe yeah, I'll... Sounds about right. Sounds yeah. about right. I think that covers most, good, most things. That's a good garage. Yeah. Is your Carrera T manual or PDK? Manual. Manual. Is that quite... Imagine that's quite interesting with like more power. Yeah, it, it, it's just... It's the right, the right amount. It just... It's... It's about 600 horsepower and it's just a lovely car. So nice to, uh, to drive. We took it around Europe a few years ago and it was, it was amazing. Um, so yeah, it, it makes you question then, would you have uh, 
a PDK or a manual GT3 if when the next one comes along. Manual? You think you definitely have a manual? I think so. Uh, I don't know, it revs so high and you've got that instant gear change. I'm not I know sure. what you mean. But I, okay, but have you driven a 9912? 991.2? Yep. So yep. I've driven both versions of that car and I preferred the manual. It's just, okay. just, they're both great. On track, I think I would have a PDK because I kind of couldn't care less on track and manual yes. is whatever. But on the road, it's just more involving having three pedals for me. I, anyway. I, I agree. I agree. I just... Uh, I know I what you know, mean. Just, that like... In the end, if you'd said to me a couple of years ago, it would be manual all day long. But the more I've driven them, they're so good, the new PDKs. And when it revs to 9,000, it's absolutely howling and you get that instant change. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it it yeah, is quite something. something to, yeah. So I'm not sure now. I was thinking... Um, this, I literally ran the same thing ran through my mind when I was pondering the new one and whatever. Because yeah. I've got my RS and I don't think I'm getting rid of that and that's a manual. I was like, well, if I did get the new GT3, if I managed to get a slot or whatever and, and, and got one, actually having it as a PDK could be quite good. Like it would be quite a bit more usable, not as a massive difference. And like, yeah, you would get that 9,000 RPM, boom, yeah, get from the PDK that you wouldn't get from the manual. It's the first time I've ever thought that that would be possibly be <laughs> something I would expect. It, it, it's just it's something I drove one the other day. I drove a, a nine hundred one point two RS vice yeah. one. Um, it was so it was so good. It was really really exceptional. And I just thought, do you know what? You'd have to have in that in that model. You'd have to have the PDK. I think if you had a touring, maybe. But then I've got the Carrera T, so I'm not sure now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if if it's in a garage, it becomes a different different decision. Yeah. If it's like your one sports car, for me, it would always be the manual. Oh, it has to be a manual if it's your one. Yeah, absolutely. But if, if you've got others, yeah, then it then it makes it it different, and they mm. do sell. Okay, so a car that comes in a PDK esque system, Alpine A110. I I'd like to try that in a manual. That'd be much better as a manual. I truly believe, and I, I've. I was talking, Alpine let me one for a week, uh, two weeks ago. So it was my first time driving that car. And I thought it was great. A couple of quirky, weird stuff about it. But um, the the suspension wasn't as sort of plush as I thought it was going to be. I, I, because of all of the stuff that everyone had said about it, they were like, this is the best riding handling car ever and it handles amazing but it is not the best riding car i've ever been in and i understand for the price point that gets more tricky but i absolutely i wouldn't buy one unless i could have one as a manual and i reckon there are a lot of people out there that might be in a similar vein yeah we've we've done a suspension kit for the alpine for that very reason Mm. that it it works okay in a small window but it, it struggles for both comfort and then you push on. Yeah, like low speed um, comforts could be improved. Yeah. At the sort of 50, yeah. 60 mile an hour speed, it's it's fine. It's yeah, so we've, I think we've, we've got something pretty good now for those. As great as the car is, I don't think the gearbox is particularly good. The, it's, it's uh, as a, you know, when you're comparing it to like a, a DCT M5, M3 mm. or, a, or a PDK, it's just not as slick no. as, as one of those. Um, it's it's good, but it's not it's not like one of those. And I think you're right. A manual would be so much better. 
I guess it just comes down to cost, doesn't it? Again, and that's it. Know? I've 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 had yeah. this told to me many a time that yeah, it just kind of wasn't possible at the time. And fair, fair, fair. Like that's fine, but I don't know whether they you, would sell more. Sorry, you, you also you also again dealing with the vocal minority of people that would want a manual. But exactly. the reality is, if you were Alpine selling the car, seventy percent of the people would buy an auto if they had the choice. Um, you've got to pander to that 70% okay. rather than the others. That's I've the got issue. a counterpoint, right? Yaris GR, only available in a manual? Yeah. How many are they going to sell? I think they've got 25,000, I think they're going to make in total worldwide. Yeah. It'd be just, I'd just be interested to know in like two years' time, and I know it's a different price car, it's more expensive, but how many Yaris GRs have been sold versus how many... Alpine, like how many Alpines have been sold? Yeah, I think the, I think the GR is a bit more practical. You can kind of justify it for more reasons. It's also more extreme in the way you're supposed it's perceived to drive it. So I think it suits a manual better. Yeah. Um, but I think if 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 it was Alpine, assuming it was like Porsche, you think seventy or eighty percent of people would buy the auto, not not the yeah. manual. I think so probably. No matter how much better the manual is. Yeah. I think you can't, you can't argue with the fact that most cars sold nowadays that have it as an option are sold as as autos and PDKs and whatnot. But mm-hmm. there's just a few of us, like all four of us out there, that's like, I would buy it if it was a manual. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I know Dan Prosser loves his with his Alpine. That he's got he does. He's enjoying that. So they are they are great cars, really. It's and, it's, cool. and again, it's one of those bit like the the, the Yaris where it's brave that they've made it. A hundred percent. That's that's really cool that they've made the car. Like full on hats off to them. They've done a really good job making that yes. car, and it is much lighter than the other cars, and you feel it straight away. And you so you can't get that lightweight experience or lighter weight experience in any other car. <laughs> no, but then there's always going to be compromise for things like the, you know the engine's okay, but how much better would it be with a three liter V six in it? You know. Yes. The, Significant, you know, three liter three V six and a and a manual gearbox with a mechanical. In fact, we've got a diff going in the back of our Alpine uh, in the next uh, next few yeah. weeks as well to see what that's because that's got an open diff as well. Um, so yeah, they, those three extra things would transform. It's going to be the Litchfield kit. <laughs> yeah, it will sell all of one to me. Be, yeah, all this work for no reason. Yeah, I'd buy one of them. That would be yeah. great. <laughs> Right, next question. If you can only drive one car for the rest of your life and you're allowed a £500 something on the side? I'd have to say my Carrera T, I think. As, bo- yeah. as boring as the answer. Oh, no, my GTR's pretty... If I had another car as well, the GTR... I'd, I'd, as an all-round car, I'd probably say the Carrera T. Mm. It's just... A 911 just does... It's, 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 it's an boring, it isn't it? It's, it's, you want to not like it, but when... And, and for us as well because we take a lot of the cars apart, particularly in the body shop, and you yeah. see how they're built. They're mm-hmm. just built to us. I think the GTR and the 911, particularly the 911, is is so well made. And so well, it's the thought that's gone into it. Yeah. That's the, that's the, that's why, why I like the Ford GT so much. Because in that era, when we were dealing with a lot of Ferraris and Koenigseggs and, and cars like that, and you see how they're built, and then yeah. this Ford comes along. And everything's simple and common sense. And you're like, this that's brilliant. You know, it, it makes it even more frustrating when you're working on a, 
a Bugatti that you can't even get the wheel nuts for or whatever the crazy thing <laughs> yeah, is. yeah yeah that um the, that Ford GT I think is a bit of a a sleeper almost in the sense that it, it's always been sort of popular under the radar but the more I I came across one a year ago someone brought it on a road trip we were on and by the end of the road trip everyone was like oh man that is a cool car it is yeah it is really cool and it's really simple as well and it's just you know some of some common sense has put it together but it is cool it's fun it's blisteringly quick it's it's got the silly you know supercar doors and yeah. everything that goes with it it's a proper supercar um whereas the new one kind of kind of less so for me i'm sure it's better in every way but it's it's not better in every way because it sounds like yeah it's just shit yeah <laughs> well there is that we had that engine in, in the raptor yeah. and it was all right in the raptor but not great in the um not great in that i'd imagine yeah cool, cool thing i think did well for ford but uh, yeah. not not for me not for me uh what do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment i really like the m2 competition I think that's mm. an excellent car, really good value. And when you look at how much they're going for in the used market, I think that's that's a good value car because it yeah. ticks for a, in a, you know, a car enthusiast. It ticks pretty much all the boxes and yet can do all the boring stuff perfectly as well. Yeah, um, I think they're great cars. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've not driven the competition, but I I loved my M2 whilst I had it. It just wasn't super practical, but it just delivers. Like I was sort of looking at those types of cars just as like, you know, random auto trader search yeah. and looking at older BMWs. And then I was like, actually, I quite like modern cars. And like a M2 competition just ticks so many boxes. And it's the M2 versus a 2 Series is just, as a driving experience is just so much nicer. Like when you start pushing it, it's just a much more friendlier platform. It's designed better. It yeah. works. It's got the diff in it, all that sort of stuff. It's more fun to hoon, and it, yeah, it's just a, it's just a really cool car. I think I, I, they just do everything extremely well, and it's, it's the right size. It's got all the power you ever want, particularly if you start tuning it. Um, it's got the diff, the chassis. The chassis is a good step on from from the original uh, M2 as well. Mm. Um, yeah, I think they're brilliant cars. Certainly, as a daily, they're superb. What have you done to the, what have you, you guys? Okay, you guys have done some stuff with the M2. You've done, yeah, power, we've, we've got our own M. We've had our own M. I mean, I love the M4. I've had an M4 since 2014, mm. and if I had to go from here to Germany or something, I'd just jump in the M4. It's just a great car, really good car. And so the end, if you know, if I didn't have that, we would have an M2 competition. Yeah. We had one for a while when it first came out, and we did work, but it's essentially the same, the same car. Yeah, very similar, and they're they're actually like an M3 and an M2 don't weigh much different which is crazy it's like 30 kilos or something yeah yeah it's quite a lot bigger the m3 as well it's um yeah it's uh i just i just think they're great cars the f-series cars yeah okay so a stage one on an m2 you guys are 520 horsepower 500 foot pounds tall. that sounds like a hilarious that sounds great that just sounds like a great <laughs> amount of power and torque in that car it would just light the tires up whenever you want but it's we spent quite a lot of time trying to get it to be nice and smooth and you can adjust the power levels and stuff from the steering wheel. Um, so, but that, yeah, that's extremely popular. We do probably at least one, one or two a day of, of that sort of, oh, right. that nice. sort of tuning. That sounds, I mean, that just sounds, that does actually sound like a really appealing prospect. And then suspension wise, 
Yeah, we did a great suspension kit for that. Better. It was much, much nicer to drive. Um, it works really well. It works really well. It's mm. more comfortable. It finds traction better as well because it's got a little bit more compliance, particularly on the rear. Um, so that, that makes it a really nice daily. Oh, I've just on your website, you've got a little note from Mr. Chris Harris. Is he, he's got the bill. Yeah, Chris on loves his. his. Yeah, we've done, we've done a lot of suspension work on, on his car. He loves it. Um, oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, well, it sounds like it sounds like you've done the right the right bits to make that. Oh, that's, it's made an M two competition even more appealing now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, final question: What is the most interesting car to you at the moment? Well, I'm really looking for the, forward to the new GT three. I'm mm. really looking forward to seeing what they've done on that. When do you um, think it's going to come? It's soon, isn't it? I well, I, I've heard it's the end of Feb. They're going to kind of officially really? release you know so presumably it's on the website to order and then you'll have all the aggravation of who can get one or can't get one and, oh, and all yeah. that fun and games that that great um, fun part i was talking to a dealership the other day and they they reckon they were going to get eight and this generation it's split between touring and non-touring it's not a it's not yes. a tick box it's they're gonna have they let's say they had an eight they might have eight this yeah. year or something they're gonna have four touring allocations and four normal allocations so you can't just you have to either get and yeah, you've got to feel sorry for them because what do you what do you do? I mean, if if you're if you're the dealer and you and you know you're going to get eight Nightmare. for the year, how, how do you divvy that up? It's it, it must be it really <sighs> awkward. It must be an absolute nightmare. And I think they get they get a lot of shit from customers and other people, and and I think rightly so sometimes. But they're ultimately they've got to decide somehow. And if someone gives them more business than someone else. I can't see a reason why you wouldn't give them that car. Like, yeah, it's it. It's a common sense. You've got to do it somehow, and yeah, okay, maybe every now and then you pick a customer that's just been a customer of yours for a really long time, and you give them a car. Yeah. But it does, it does great a little bit when. Well, you, I, I tried to get a touring before we bought the Carrera T, or before yeah. the Carrera T came out, and we just couldn't. Uh, we couldn't get a new one at the time. And we bought the Carrera T, but it was because really it was it was more relevant to the business. Yeah, and it's been great, and uh, I wouldn't change it. I can keep that car forever. Um, but we've done a, a huge amount of business now with with the local Porsche dealer. So it'd be interesting to see when it comes around what what's said. <laughs> but um, I do I do feel sorry for them to a degree because it must be extremely difficult. Um, um, and at the same time, if you're Porsche, you want to keep that exclusivity, don't you? So it's I, I just balancing act. I think there's two sides on that. I wish they'd make as many as possible. Like honestly, I couldn't. Certainly care GT3, less. as many GT3s as they can churn out. GT3, keep the RS, keep the RS like yeah. limited, whatever. But GT3, I, I think there's an emissions problem with making a certain amount a year. I think I've yeah. heard that, but. Like, if you told me, okay, the depreciation on a GT3 is going to be the same as a 911 Carrera uh, or Carrera S or something, I would be like, fine, fine, give me one. Yeah. Like, I would, I would take that depreciation to own that car. I'm, yes, it's the same as any other car. So I think yeah. anybody buys it. But I think that's where it leaves a bad taste is when you get people buying them as almost like investments or opportunities yeah. to make money. That's where it becomes because then it means you get the genuine enthusiasts just doesn't get the opportunity to buy a car and who cares if it loses if they can afford it half the value 
in three yeah. years or whatever the, the the average is you know that's yeah. you know you, you you buy it on its merits you can afford it you get it if you don't you don't and yeah. and, and then you can but anyone who wants to enjoy it can yeah i think they did well they've done well with the gt4 on that one so there's 718 gt4s they made a lot they mm-hmm. made i think they've made a the sort of amount that if you when they were launched said i want one you would have got one within two years like they just yeah we, we had them. we had one for six months it's a great car really good car um so they they can clearly do it but yeah i don't know it it does make me rage when i'm like they're, they're like you can't have one why why yeah okay i understand i don't spend any money in your dealership but can i have one Um, yeah and then you see a car that a customer's delivered in the showroom for sale a week later you know yeah that becomes that that's when it becomes difficult isn't it with no price tag on it you have to ask what yeah overs they're asking you know yeah that's that's not for me i had one and (laughs) the salesman who i was talking to is generally really really honest and he said he'd offered a gt3 to someone uh because he was like a you know good customer or whatever they expect it in a manual but had never driven a manual so when the car came he tried to drive it couldn't drive it turned around and said oh, i want to sell it and i was like oh, I, like is this real yeah. does anyone really do that yeah i don't know I, it, it is very frustrating very frustrating but I can I can see that I can see the problems that the dealer and Porsche themselves have, but I just perhaps they haven't handled it as well as they they could have do. Really. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah. Anyway, at, at the end of the day, it's an amazing car. I love the cars. I love the brand. I love that they make them. And if I have to wait a couple of years to buy one or whatever, yeah. then you just accept that a GT3, even a GT3 in the UK, is so much cheaper than in Europe anyway. I don't know whether mm-hmm. this will change post-Brexit, but yes. they were always like, let's say a GT3 in the UK might be 130 grand, whereas in Europe they were like 180, 190,000 euros. But you think quite a lot the more. other way around with the demand, then you think Porsche could type, make, well, that's you know, it. I charge think they what should, they want? I kind of think they should just put the price up. Yeah, it was cheap. But, well, it's cheap relatively for 110,000 compared to what the, yeah. the, the base price it, it it did seem relatively cheap you compare it um, to a carrera and yeah they're just not the same car it's like the yaris no. the gt3 to carrera <laughs> is such a different car yes even though they're not yeah. you know whereas gt3 to rs is is a step but it's not the you know it's not, not the same no. again yeah oh well it's in, how, how do you take your um, your nine nine three on track? Nine nine seven. Nine nine seven. Sorry, um, a little bit. Every now and then, um, I have I have a radical that I do some track work okay. with, um, which has sort of ruined all road cars. To be honest, on track, <laughs> they all feel like boats. <laughs> but I do take the GT three yeah. occasionally for a bit of a hoon, and I've just I've just got to the point where it's it's, it's about to have killed its rear ceramics. Um, oh, it's okay. So I might have to change them at some point, but I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> I'm not looking forward it's to not, that at no. all. But yeah, no, love it. I, I love it. It's just, it's just, it's just, just amazing. The best cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are good. Very good. I'm an absolute sucker. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. It's been good to chat. Hopefully, at some point, I will be able to come up to Litchfield and pop in and say hello. 
Yeah, come and have a drive with some of our demo cars when yeah. this nightmare's all over with. Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. Cool. Well, thanks very much. Excellent. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.